If you're a guest today, what we're trying to do here is we, we've had a series of messages this month that are trying to bring us back in touch with the real Christmas, what Christmas is really about, so we don't get so caught up in the secular expression and celebration of Christmas that we miss the reason for the season, and that is Jesus. And so to get the most out of Christmas, so far, we've discovered that we got to keep Christ in Christmas, and during that message, we showed a lot of different ways to do that. Last week, we talked about give more than you get. Christmas is about giving. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Now, in our quest to get the most out of Christmas, today, I want to share with you a message that I'm entitling, Make Peace Preeminent. Make Peace Preeminent. Preeminent means having paramount rank, dignity, or importance. And so as we celebrate Christmas this year, I'm going to challenge you as I'm challenging myself to make peace preeminent. Rank it up there high. Think about its importance. Bring peace into your world so that you can bring peace into somebody else's world. Like we sang, let there be peace on earth. Christmas is all about peace. Luke 2, verses 13 through 14. The shepherds were out in the field, biding their flocks, and all of a sudden, suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Peace. Peace to men on whom his favor rests. Notice the angel didn't say, glory to God, there's a baby born. Glory to God. We've... He said, peace is coming into the world. Isaiah had prophesied it back in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We looked at this verse last week. said, for to you a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Everlasting Father, and who? Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. Psalm 29.11 says, The Lord gives strength to his people. The Lord blesses his people with peace. See, it's all about peace. But what happened to that promised peace? So often today, we don't live our life with that kind of peace. We don't sense that peace of God. Certainly in our holiday celebration now, peace is not paramount, is it? It's not preeminent. It's not ranked high. And we lose the very reason and purpose of Christmas, which is to bring peace to men. There's some thieves that steal our promised peace. I want to share with you three of them today. Three thieves of Christmas peace. Three elements in our world, in our lives, that want to steal the peace that God intends us to have. The first one is grief. Grief steals our peace. Some 
when they come to the Christmas season and maybe this particular Christmas season, life is marked by grief. The loss of a loved one, the loss of a friend. And that's real. And my challenge today is not to, not to deny that it's happening. It's a significant transition. It's a transition that, that, that is a difficult transition at any time of the year, but especially during the holiday season, especially at Christmas time. For some of you, maybe a loved one passed earlier in the year, but this is your first Christmas without them. And it brings a myriad of emotion. Well, how do we respond to that? What's a healthy way? What's, more importantly, a biblical way to respond to our grief? Some of you feel like the psalmist in Psalm 31 said, Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow and my soul and my body with grief. Very popular biblical character certainly felt like that. He was king of Israel. His name was David. We remember the story of David, and there's so many victories in David's life, but there was one colossal failure in David's life, and that was his sin with Bathsheba, taking another man's wife and and impregnating her. Well, as a judgment for that adulterous relationship, God had informed David through a prophet that the baby that would be born from the union between he and Bathsheba would die. And subsequently, that's exactly what happened. Second Samuel 12.20 says that David got up from the ground. His response to this proclamation when Bathsheba was giving birth was he went to the temple and he, he, he got down on his face before God and he prayed that God would change his mind, that God would let the baby live. Soon one of his servants came in and whispered in his ear that the baby had indeed been born, but the baby had indeed died just as the prophet said he would. Now remember, this is something David actually caused. This is not just something that invaded his life like grief will invade all our lives from time to time. This is something he did to bring this grief upon he and Bathsheba. It says, after he had washed, he put on lotions and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and what? Worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. How did David handle this grief? What was his response? And maybe for some who are grieving today, maybe the Holy Spirit might speak to you today through David's response. The first thing David did is he gave his grief to God. He went to the temple. He prayed. He worshiped God. And even after he received the news that God had not answered his prayer, that God did not change his mind, but in fact that the baby still died, 
He didn't get angry with God. He didn't get bitter with God. He didn't, he didn't start taking it out on all his servants and that. He did what? He got up. He went to the house of the Lord and he worshiped God. David gave his grief to God. Peter encourages us to do the same thing. 1 Peter 5, 7. Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, says this. Cast all your anxiety on him because what? Read it with me. He cares for you. Listen, if you're dealing with grief today, first and foremost, I want you to understand God cares about that. God is mindful of it. And today, he invites you to do what David did. Give your grief to God. But after that, David accepted what he could not change. 2 Samuel 12, verses 22 and 23. The servants came to him after, and they said, King, we, we, we don't get it. We don't, we, you were so grieved, and, and you wouldn't talk, and you wouldn't eat, and you wouldn't even have us come near you. And all of a sudden, you're up, and you showered, you changed your clothes, and you're eating. Well, what? They're trying to figure it out. And he says, well, the child was still alive. I fasted and wept. I thought, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and let the child live. He said, but now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can that bring him back again? He said, I will go to him, but he will not return to me. See, David gave his grief to God, and then David accepted what he could not change. He said, for me to continue to, to, to mourn, for me to continue to, to, to fast, for me to continue to weep, is not going to bring that person back. I need to give it to God. I need to worship him and thank God for that person ever being in my life. And then I... I, I I just need to accept that my life has changed. And I need to accept that and begin to move on. See, David III focused on what was left, not what was lost. It's so easy for us to miss that. It's so easy for us to be so overcome with grief that we, we focus only on it while ignoring everything we still have around us. 2 Samuel 12, 24 says, after David got up and he cleansed himself and he got something to eat after he had worshiped God, then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and he went to her and lay with her and she gave birth to a son and they named him Solomon. The Lord loved him. David, having dealt with his grief and given it back to God and David, have accepting what he could not change, remembered that someone else was a part of this equation. Somebody else was grieving. Somebody else needed comforting. Somebody else needed tenderness. And so he went to Bathsheba, who had carried that baby for nine months, who had given birth to that baby in the travails of labor. 
who had held that baby to her breast. He knew that she needed comforting far more than he did. And ultimately, God blessed them with another child. And that child became the heir to David's throne. That child was the king of Israel at the pinnacle, at the height of Israel's power and glory in the world. David focused on what was left, not what was lost. And maybe that's something to remember. During this Christmas season is, don't forget to look around you. Don't forget to to look for others who may also be grieving and who may need you to be a source of hope, a source of encouragement, a source of faith. Pain is inevitable. It's going to visit us all especially the pain of losing loved ones. It's going to happen. Pain's inevitable. Misery is optional. Allowing that pain to fester, allowing that pain to be controlling, continuing to to live in pain, that's an option. Don't become so obsessed with your loss that you neglect other equally important people, other important things you still have in your life. If that grief is there, give it to God. Accept that there's nothing you can do to change those circumstances. And let me encourage you to build into your Christmas as you you grieve and have moments of grief. Let me encourage you to build into your Christmas time so that your grief doesn't rob you of the peace that passes understanding that God will give you. Look around you and be a source of comfort to someone else. Second thief of Christmas is grudges. Grudges steal our peace. Job, who was faithful to God under extremely tough circumstances, we talked about several weeks ago, where in one day, as he's sitting, just like any other day, his servants come in and and tell him that, that all of his sheep, all of his cattle, all of his camels are gone, all his kids are killed, Everything is gone that he's, that he's had. All in one day, one after another, they come, if you remember the story. And yet Job remains faithful to God, but that doesn't mean through this period of grief that he experienced that he didn't have other challenges when people started telling him, listen, the only reason this is happening to you is because God is against you. And, and, and they said all kinds of terrible things to him. And at one point, he got really frustrated, as recorded in, in Job chapter 30, verses 1 and verse 27. He says, but now they mock me. Men younger than I, whose fathers I would have disdained to put with my sheepdogs. I mean, can you see? He's saying, all these young punks are coming around. And they're telling me 
how I should think. They're telling me what I should do. And he said, these guys, I wouldn't even have their fathers care for my sheepdogs, these guys. I mean, he's a little upset. And he says, the churning inside me never stops. Days of suffering confront me. Now, ultimately, Job dealt with his grudges. But even he had grudges. Psalm 12, 18 says, if it is possible, though, as far as it depends on who? You, me. Live at peace with everyone. We are going to be offended. We are going to be challenged. We, in cases, are going to be abused. And it's so easy to hold on to that. The scripture says, no, wait. If it is possible, if what's possible? If peace is possible. If forgiveness is possible. If reconciliation is possible. And it says, not as long as it depends on the other person, but as long as it depends on you. Live at what? Peace with everyone. Because that's what God brought to the, to the world through Jesus Christ. He brought peace. Romans 14, 19 says, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do everything. Make every effort you can because the whole thing is on me. As far as it's possible, as far as it depends on me, do everything I can to bring peace into these broken relationships. It says, and I need to make every effort to do that. Well, what can I do to address my grudges? What can I do to try to bring them into control and pro- try to seek peace out of them? Well, first thing is don't feed them. Remember, remember what Job said, I think about them all day long. I just churn. They're always with me. See, don't feed them. Proverbs 30 Verse 33 says, for as churning the milk produces butter, and as twisting the nose produces blood, so stirring up anger produces strife. And you just picture, you know, we, we've all pictured making butter by churn, by churn and having that container with, with the ingredients in it and, and just that stick up and down, 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 up and down. Or, or even maybe we can identify with making homemade ice cream with the old crank thing, just cranking that thing forever. He says, well, as we do that with our grudges, as we just think about them, as we contemplate them over and over and over, as we feed them, see, and we feed them by, by, by fantasizing about what we do to the other person. We feed them by not letting it go. We feed those things because the more we think about it, the more emotional we become, and what happens? Are we at peace? Are we living in peace? No. Not at all. Not even close. Don't feed them, but don't ignore them either. Because that's not going to do any good. Psalm 39, verses 2 through 3 says, When I was silent, David says, not even saying anything good, my anguish, what? Increase. 
Why? Because he was feeding it. He was stewing about it. He wasn't doing it. He was ignoring it. He was avoiding it. He says, as long as I ignored it, as long as I avoided it, as long as I didn't say anything about it, did it make it go away? No, what happened? My anger increased. My heart grew hot within me. Ever have your heart grow hot within you? Man, I have. And as I mentioned, he said, by the way, the fire burned inside my belly. Some of you might be thinking that right now about someone who's recently offended you, someone who's recently abused you, someone you're not at peace with. And you've been feeding that. And the result of feeding that is these symptoms. My anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me. My belly burned with fire. That's because we're not doing anything with it. We're just feeding it. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. He says, listen, if, if something went wrong in the equation and you had a breakdown in one of your relationships, Jesus said, here's, here's what you should do. You should go to that person. You shouldn't feed it. You shouldn't sit on it. You need to do something about it. Don't ignore it. Go confront that person. Now, as you go, don't fuel them. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently, Galatians 6, 1 says. All right, so, so here's what we're doing with our grudges, seeking peace, is we're not feeding him. We're not just going to stew on him by ignoring that it's happened. We're going to go to that person in response to Jesus' guidance in Matthew 18. But how are we going to go to him? Listen, you scumbag. <laughs> we can fuel what's already damaged. We can leave this exchange hotter than we were when we went in. We can exacerbate the breakdown in the relationship that's already occurred. See, when Jesus says, don't ignore it, but confront that brother. The goal of the confrontation is not to win an argument. The goal of the confrontation is not to oppress the other person, the offender in your eyes. The goal is to, as far as it depends on you, make peace. And as believers, we need to take the high ground. And we need to, to try this gently. I'm working on a, a whole way to share with you in another series on, on how to confront conflict in your life. And how to do it in a way that, that brings peace and health. But when you go, let me just give you a free one today. When you go, as Jesus responded, you go, don't go with an accusatory spirit. 
go with a spirit of curiosity. Instead of saying, say, we both know that we had a hiccup here in our relationships. Help me understand from your perspective what happened. Help me understand what happened from your perspective, from your vantage point. Don't say, let me tell you how I think it went down. Don't start there. Just say, now they're going to come back and say something, and they may bring, say something unkind, which is going to make you want to then grab them by the throat. Now, is that Galatians, restoring someone gently? All right, two words now. Stay curious. Stay curious. When you've gone, you said, help me understand from your perspective what just happened in our relationship. They're going to respond with something. Now, as they're responding, don't be thinking about what you're going to say next. Listen to what they're saying. Process what they're saying. And then... Ask another question about what they just said. Oh. Well, help me understand a little bit more what you mean by such and such. Or help me understand what I did that evoked that reaction from you. Keep asking questions. Stay curious. Until you dig down through the layers of emotion, through the layers of their anger, to a place where you can finally say, now, is there anything I'm missing from your perspective? Is there anything that I'm not catching that happened? And at least what you're going to do is you're going to disarm them. Because if you come to them, what are they expecting? They're expecting confrontation. And and whether it's not physically or not, they're in this posture when they first see you. But as you seek their perspective, as you seek to understand, you're going to disarm them. And you might learn some things and say, you know what? You're right. I can see that perspective. Do forgive them. That same passage, Matthew 18, verse 15, Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. You've just made peace. You've done what God has asked you to do. What did Jesus say in his sermon on the mount? Blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called sons of God. That's what we're here to do. Jesus came to bring peace to the earth. And he needs human agents now to help do that. And when we do it in our conflict, we can then help other people to do it in their conflict. God's very serious about this. In Matthew 6, verses 14 through 15, this is still the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And that means you can't have salvation. No, that's not what he's saying. He's just saying, you cannot expect God's blessing on your life if you are living out of step with what God has asked us to do with our conflicts. Romans 12, verses 18 to 19. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, now, let me break that down real quick. You're not feeding your grudge. You're not ignoring it. You've gone to your brother. You're not fueling it because you've gone sensitively. You've gone with a spirit of, of discovery, with, a, with an attitude of curiosity. And it gets thrown right back in your face, which is a possible outcome. You may be doing it all correctly. You may be doing it all biblically. You may be doing it out of a heart of, of submission to what God has called us to do and be. And it still doesn't change the situation. In fact, the other person just goes off on you. What then? Well, Jesus has some more in the formula down the road, but that's for a different day. But immediately, it's this. Don't react negatively. Just say, well, I'm sorry we weren't able to make peace today. I'm sorry we weren't able to reconcile this today. Let's, let's just go our separate ways and think about it. Maybe there'll be a better day down the road. But what Jesus says, or the Holy Spirit tells Paul, is he says, don't then say, okay, I tried, sucker. Now you and me, we're squaring off. He said, listen, even if it doesn't go well, just give it to God. Just like your grief, give it to God. God says, I'll handle it. I've got it under control. You let me do what I can do. You do what I have asked you to do as far as it depends on you. But if that doesn't work and that doesn't go anywhere, don't abandon you just leave it in my hands, and I'll take care of it. Because know this, justice will come. Jesus says that in judgment, every careless word that is spoken is going to be judged one day. God won't forget any of it. He says, you leave room for me. I'll bring the proper, the just response at the just time. The final thief of our peace is guilt. Guilt steals our peace. And it does it in two ways. One definition of guilt is this, a feeling of deserving blame for offensive. We do something wrong and we feel guilty about it. We deserve blame for it. Man, I messed up. Oh, I really didn't want to do that. I really, we've all been there. Some of you may be there right now. James 1, verses 14, 15 tells us how that happens. It says, but each one, each person, is tempted when by his own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed, and after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives to birth. There's a formula, there's a process that happens. And it says it happens to all of us. It says each one, every person, is tempted when by his own evil desire. 
by something inside us that is trying to, most of the time, medicate some feeling, some negative feeling that we're experiencing, turn to the wrong substance. We're drawn away. Drawn away from what? It's not drawn away from what, it's drawn away from whom? Drawn away from God. Drawn away from God's statutes, God's commandments, God's guidance. And instead, in that time, I want what I want. And it's just because, not because God's not pinging me, not because the Holy Spirit's out there, I'm just not listening. I want what I want, and so I'm enticed. When I'm enticed, sin is conceived. And sin, when it's fully born, gives birth to death. It'll destroy me. Psalm 89, 46 says, How long, O Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? See, this guilt before God burns in us. David's crying out to God, God, how long, God? How long will you ignore me? How long will you not hear my prayer? How long? See, when we go through that process and we do enough again, that's where it leaves us. It leaves us feeling totally estranged from God. Feels like he's not hearing our prayers, he's not in our life anymore, and we can feel like he's totally done with us, he's abandoned us, he's discarded us. And it's because of that kind of guilt. The blame, knowing we have done something offensive to God. It's a feeling of deserving blame for offenses. What do we do about it? Scripture tells us, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sin. Hey, listen, whatever it is, God will forgive it. It's the promise. If we confess it, he will forgive it. And it goes on to say, and purify us from all unrighteousness. He'll purify us. He'll take it away. He'll cleanse it. Philippians 3, verses 13 through 14, Paul writes this, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, taken hold of the Christian life, living the Christian life perfectly. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on to the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul says, I don't get this Christianity thing right every time. Even he didn't. He says, here's how I handle it. I forget what's behind. I can't change what's behind. Yeah, I messed up. I messed up big time. I, there's nothing I can do to change what happened. There's no do-over in that circumstance. So me just focusing on that and feeding that sense of guilt, that sense of blame, is going to do nothing. I need to confess it and own it. And then I need to strain for what's ahead. Now, sometimes we deal with a blunder, a misstep. We do something, we're drawn away, and we do something we know is wrong, and we feel guilty about that. But sometimes it's a little bit more involved. Sometimes it's a matter of what some call besetting sins. Sins that seem to own us. It's not like we just had a misstep and we fell into it, but it's a sin that we do over and over and over and over and over again. 
And we've confessed it over and over and over and over again. And we've sought God's forgiveness over and over and over and over again. And we're carrying that guilt because we've not overcome it. Now, if that's your situation today, and that's, that's the guilt that you're dealing with, well, let me give you a new strategy to maybe try. Because you've said, I'm never doing it again, God. Don't kill me this time, God. Don't punish me this time, God, and I'll never do it again. Never is a big word. And it may be bigger than you are right now. It may be bigger than your spiritual maturity right now. So let me give you a new strategy. You ready for it? Win the next round. Don't think never. Don't think this. Don't think way down there. Just think the next round. Win the next round. The next time you are tempted to do that, don't do it. That round. Don't think I'm never, I'm not. just don't do it then. Win the next round. Not the war, not the battle, just win the next round and say no. When you've won that round, push the reset button. I'm gonna win the next round. I'm not looking way down there, I'm looking to the next round. And as you win the next round, you begin to build a series of victories that will build your confidence, that will help you to deal with that guilt. But there's another definition of guilt. That definition is the fact, the fact of having committed a breach of conduct, especially violating law, and involving a penalty. Romans 3.23 says what? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have committed an act, committed a violation against God's law that is deserving of a penalty. And what is that penalty? Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. That's the penalty. Revelation 21, 27, speaking of the eternal kingdom, speaking of heaven, says, nothing impure will ever enter it. Nor will anyone who does what is shameful. Anybody here ever done anything shameful? I'm the only one? Anyone ever done anything deceitful? Uh-oh. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. If it was just based on shameful, we've all violated that. We're done. If it's just based on seafoot, we've all violated that. We're done. But Romans 5.8 says this. And this is the glory of Christmas. This is the glory of God bringing peace to us. It says, but God demonstrates his own love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God, 
overcomes that wage. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Therefore, if we confess with our mouth, Romans 10, 9, that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Saved from what? The guilt of the violation that brings the penalty. It's all through Jesus. Romans 5, 1 says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christmas is all about peace. Get the most out of this Christmas. Make peace preeminent. Make it an important part of your Christmas. Then you'll have peace. For Luke 2.14 says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom favor rests. Let's bow our heads. Father, there's some thieves that are potentially in our life today. One is grief that wants to rob us of our peace. Let us follow David's example, a biblical example. There's grudges, and it's easy to have them because we live in a world of competition, and we live in a world that is not friendly but is competitive and, and me-based. Lord, help us to deal biblically with our grudges so that we can have peace this Christmas season and help us to deal with our guilt even now. For your will for our life is to have peace, not live in, in, in guilt and not live in grief and not live in, in broken relationships. God, use today's message and today's scriptures to speak to us where we're living right now and then give us the desire to do what we need to do in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.